Hey, just a quick apology for the audio quality of this episode. We had a bunch of new microphones and new technology and new hosts, and altogether there were a few obstacles we had to overcome. It's still pretty audible and clear, and we didn't lose any content, but just be aware. Thank you. This is The Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about eternal damnation. I'm Jacob. I'm Jamin. I'm Victoria. I brought the entertainment this week, which is having our noses gnawed by the vainglorious every year. It's a sort of an ongoing commitment sort of thing. I hope you all have your schedules cleared. <laughs> well, this person will also talk about how great the experience was for you. I feel like there's a few minutes where it's probably pretty nice. My dog used to love gnawing my nose, and we'd sit there, and he'd gnaw my nose, and I'd wipe biscuit crumbs off, you know, and it was, it, like, uh, it kind of affectionate. I'm glad we could have this nostalgic moment about nose gnawing. I love it. And I mean, who hasn't gnawed a nose? No, that's fair. I mean, all of us, once in a while. <laughs> you get a craving. <laughs> not, not at work. Not so much at work. That's why they that make... to your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> That's why they make locks. <laughs> <laughs> On nose, you need like a nose lock, like a... No, no, no for at work. <laughs> it's like, I have an open door policy. If the door is locked, the policy no longer applies because there's nose gnawing at work. So I thought you were talking about salmon spread and I got a little confused there. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just imagining... You know, a sign that says, if the nose is a gnawing, don't bother sawing. I, I don't know. <laughs> I brought a, de- a delicious cocktail called the Gates of Hell. Ooh. Yes. I am very excited about this. Is it just fireball? <laughs> That's right. Everything is really just fireball. <laughs> <laughs> One shot fireball mixed with a second shot of fireball served in a glass. That's right. You'll be nose gnawing in no time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's in this one? So, it, uh, no fireball, but I bet you could do a sidecar fireball. Tequila, lemon, lime, cherry, and cherry brandy. Ooh. Doesn't that sound tasty? It does. That sounds, I mean... Lemon, lime. <gasps> now you just need the tequila and cherry brandy. And we've, we've got cherry Kool-Aid. <laughs> just like, that is just like cherry brandy. <laughs> <laughs> What's the German stuff? Kirsch. Is that the same? I think Kirsch has a much lower alcohol content than cherry brandy. Like Kirsch is almost like a. I I find it like medicinal almost. Yeah. Mm. And if it's, I mean, if it is Hell's Gates, we better up the ABV. I had a massive Kirsch malfunction once when I followed a recipe to the letter and that recipe called for a half a cup of Kirsch for my fondue. Oh, wow. It was revolting. Delicious. (laughs) Like that just, I could see, I guess, like, oh, uh, I don't, mm, eh. no, 
No, uh, fondue malfunction, big time. Wow, fondue malfunction sounds like a good 70s themed <laughs> cover band. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, I, I know we guys get a little bit peckish. So uh, speaking of Vainglorious, uh, tonight I brought a bacon explosion. Mm. Which is basically bacon soaked in fireball whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> like so Thank many things God. are. And and honestly, I, I think we actually have some locks downstairs in the fridge. The oh. the salmon kind, not the turnkey kind. But we could That's, do bacon, salmon, yeah, cinnamon whiskey. Crumble some of the ghost pepper Doritos over this to be really disgusting and painful. Oh. Mm. Are the are the ghost pepper Doritos any good? I think they're just Bernie for Bernie's sake. Mm-hmm. Like the last election. Oh, zing. Belated wow. cultural relevance. Wow. <laughs> Current events ish. So, <laughs> so I've been distracted lately by those kind of multi-panel illustrations of the Hindu hell I've been sending lately. I yes. really love them. They're like 20 up comic book page layout type things, brightly colored. And usually it's like reprobate suffers various forms of evisceration and or burning uh, with a wide variety of them. There are some unique tailored tortures that I want to get into down the road. Oh, please don't. Okay, I, I, not not immediately, not this week. So, so the pictures, they're, they're brightly colored. There's always like a demon and then the sinner being burned on tines or eviscerated or something like that. But about like a quarter of them that I've seen, like a quarter of the images and a quarter of the panels, look like kind of cute animal-headed guys wearing tight little colorful boxer briefs. <laughs> <laughs> and I confess, I'm not really sure. I'm getting very mixed messages from these, uh, these posters. I kind of want to write fanfic about them. I I support you. I kind of want to do some kind of Richard Scarry mashup with those. Yeah. These are the <laughs> so maybe you... we can meld these two. These impulses. are the people you meet in Naraka. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I think this would be genius. I think because I've always wanted to do that with Mayan codices. Where they had little scroll words under the word words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And okay. you have like just a, you know, just this pantheon of animal headed critters doing all kinds of things and looking very um, nonplussed. Yeah. Kind of unimpressed. That's the look. That's the look of ancient architectural finagles. I've actually been really impressed with these images and we'll show one of um, Vishnu's underworld underpants. <laughs> but if you if you think of it as educational you know we had the richard scary books i grew up on them i learned that worms drive apple cars just like in real life and if you have this imagery to teach what you want to say to people it's like look this is hell this is the underworld and there is a marble bridge between vishnu's knees like connecting the two i don't know what that means but as you've got you know young jacob on your knee bouncing him around and teaching him about the underworld this is absolutely great. I mean, it worked for me. It worked for Richard Scarry. But I, I, I urge you to look at a picture of uh, Lowly the Worm. Yeah. And note the similarity. <laughs> like they're like I, they're both wearing little hats, of, or I guess the little Vishnu worm is wearing a crown of something. But but that the little worm dude. Oh my goodness! It it all makes sense. I think we found it. I think we found we found it. Whatever it is, we found it. Dante's very busy paradiso. 
I feel like we've got, we've, yeah, like we've, we've tapped into something here. So that'll take us to our topic this week, which is going to be the rivers in hell. Uh, let's go. To get started, one of the main features of the Greek underworld, this is kind of Plato's underworld, are the rivers. There are rivers, and we all probably mostly know there are some rivers. If we don't know the rest of them, we know that there's the river Styx. This is the big one. You've got the big ferryman. You have to have the ferryman take you across, right? Yeah, that's, and that's on the postcard. It's, and it's, it's a Krista like, Berg song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a band. <laughs> yes. I think, mm-hmm. No, yes is, oh, now we're going to do the yes is a band thing, too. <sighs> but it's not Sticks, it's Steaks. And I feel like Steaks is not as exciting of a rock band name. <laughs> I didn't know that, that it's Steaks. It, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I've been struggling with, like, the Greek. Like, we, we've argued about the three-headed dog, Kerberos. So pointless aside, when I was a teaching assistant in English, we were studying the Aeneid, I forget. Um, but the one where they go to face the witch that turns everybody into piggies. Um, her name is Kirky, not Circe, but Kirky. Yeah. So me and my fellow TA in the background were sketching out a picture of Perky Kirky's turkey jerky stand. <laughs> That's all. The, so the Steaks. Um, <clears throat> if you know the Steaks, you might also know the Leith, but let me go over this. We've got the Steaks, the Acheron, the Leith, the Phlegathon, and the Cathitis. I'm sorry, the Cachitis. We're going to slip on that one. It'd be Cachitis. Cachitis, yeah. And then technically a river to Plato is Oceanus, the ocean, the all-encircling big ocean, which circles everything all-encirclingly is the ocean. That's so a river. This is kind of the big five, you're, yeah. you're saying. Well, big five plus one, because the ocean is a river. Right. And that kind of parallels the Hebrew idea of the world, which is that it's surrounded by great waters. And then there's this kind of dry area inside of that. I think that's a, a, a reasonably common cosmology. Yeah, I think until we invented sailboats, that all we knew was the ocean was as far as we got. Yeah. So the Oceanus girdles the entire world and you come one level in and it's the Archeron, which is the huge river that kind of is in the opposite direction of the, of the Oceanus. I don't know how that works. And I think the Steaks kind of goes back and forth with the Archeron. And this is this is a good one, because depending on who's writing which story, the the ferryman, Charon, is either on the Steaks or the uh, the Acheron, right? We we can't really know which is the actual boundary in. We've, we've got the souls of the dead lining up, ready to cross into the underworld. Which actual border is it? Well, I, I think, and this is something I was kind of worried about, is you can easily go crazy trying to catalog Greek myth and Roman mm-hmm. myth because there isn't one myth. Oh, absolutely. That's the, the problem with any sort of folklore is you get the written down version and it's kind of dead at that point. But before then, it's like this living kind of jumble and it's chaotic and hard to restrain. So you get a lot of questions like there are so many different maps of the Greek underworld rivers that it's just hard to know what's actually happening. And everybody's got a slightly different version. And sometimes the Steaks is the big one and sometimes the Archeron is the big one. And like largely the Steaks is the only one anybody remembers now. So the other one have kind of faded over time. Well, well, speaking of fading, you forgot about the Leith. Oh, oops. A lot of people 
know the River Lee just because that's the river of the forgetfulness. Yes. So one thing I learned lately is that these aren't just rivers. They they are aspects. And so I'll just I'll run down this real brief. The the Steaks, it's kind of the river of of poison, of strength. Uh, the Acheron is the river of pain. The Leith is the river of forgetfulness. The Phlegathon is the river of fire. And the Cachitis is the river of wailing. And so you've got this underworld. You've got fire, you've got pain, you've got wailing, you've got poison, and you've got forgetfulness. And all of these are kind of actually important in being dead. So the Steaks, I think the word strength is not quite the right word. It was trembling was the word. So kind of fear of death and the dead is part of it. The word means hate and fear and trembling all at the same time. And that was the one that, what his name, got dunked by his, his foot. Yes. Him. Oh, right, that guy. Achilles. I like, I like the French pronunciation. It's Achille. I didn't oh, know this wow. thing. Oh, wow. It's fancy. Oh, yeah. But anyway... You've got all these aspects of death. You've got this border. I'm crossing over into the underworld. And as I'm looking at this, the underworld is like hell here is not just a destination. It's a journey. It's not this. It's a it's, it's a process. I was about to say, take me through this process, because I think that maybe maybe a flow chart would be helpful right now. OK, so uh, bearing in mind, it is impossible. I understand that. We'll start early. Um, a mommy Greek and a daddy Greek. Uh, skip, skipping forward. Let's have, skipping forward. And, and what animals, like in Richard Scarry world, what animals are we envisioning? <laughs> are they mice? Are they... Peacocks. There were peacocks. Mm, mm-hmm. In the underworld? Three-headed dogs. Let's go. Oh, on. yeah, yeah. Okay, when a mommy, dogs. When mm-hmm. a mommy, three-headed dog. Anyway. Starting with, you have to get in, and this is a whole concept of paying the ferryman. Uh, and and this, is, this was fascinating because it's not just Greek, it's like lots of places you send your departed off with gifts, money, cash, their intestines in a jar, yeah. all kinds of fun things. I saw this in the River Sanzu in Japanese mythology where you have like six dollars, I think, that you send with the dead. Yeah, there's a fancy word. It's like uh, Oban, but there's six of them, not just two, not two coppers. No, the the one or the two kind of goes back and forth, too. But the obol is just one traditionally. It went in the mouth, not in the eyes. Oh, okay, okay. So it depends on what day you're looking at the mythology. Oh, man, Boondock Saints had it all wrong. Well, also, there's some pictures of an obol and it's like a foot-long rod. Oh. Like a very slender thing, and I don't want that either in my eye or my mouth. So what is the exchange rate? Gosh darn it. <laughs> one obol to one hell. <laughs> oh, how do you spell obol? O-B-O-L. Uh, it's one-sixth of a denarii. That's not helpful. Okay. All Wait, right. That, that's not Japanese. Well, I'm not doing Japanese. I'm doing obols. Oh. How much is that in Bitcoin? I only deal with Bitcoin <laughs> these days. <laughs> Uh, mon is the word for the currency that you use for Japanese ferrymen. Yeah, that confused me because they're both OBO asterisk. So we have to pay the pay the cost of the ferryman. And this kind of goes forward into into later Catholicism where you've got someone dies and the family after the death prays for them to get through 
limbo. Pray for them to get, you know, into this. It's like the whole, there's an effort to dying. If you can't afford to die, you're screwed, man. I was watching um, a mythology show on Netflix the other day and had a lot of like animated stuff going on. It was kind of cute. But they talk a lot about how the burial ritual is something that supports society. And all ritual supports society. All mythology kind of supports society. So the obol and the ferryman, it kind of says, are you a part of the structure? Have you been given the burial rights by your people? So this, this, this as a passing over thing may be kind of tied to that as this is the social burial of the body, the physical interment into, um, not Hades, Sheol sort of thing. Sheol. Mm. The physical interment into Sheol. And so back to this specific level of Greek underworld, we've got these rivers, you go through them, and not every soul goes down every river, but, and this was kind of fun for me, the final river, the, the Lee, the river of forgetfulness, this specific Tartarus was part of the reincarnation cycle. You just dropped the wrong word there. I would not use the word Tartarus. Tartarus is a very special case. Mm, okay, that's fair. Tartarus yeah. is actually, oh man, Tartarus is, well, before the fields of Asphodel, but if yeah. you look at the map, it's confusing. Well, we're, we're, we're talking a lot about hell in our little ongoing chatter. And the Greek underworld is not necessarily hell. In fact, all of these are more like rivers of the underworld rather than rivers of hell. And that's fine. But Tartarus is really more like hell. So rewind a little bit. Yeah, let's forget Tartarus. Tartarus never happened. In the process of the Greek, of this specific Greek underworld, you've got reincarnation. This one has reincarnation. You have souls, they die, they suffer, they torment, they get dipped in whatevers. But then they cross over one final border, which is the River Leith, the River Forgetfulness. And so you say, OK, I'm Jamin. I've lived a good life. I've been around the world two and a half times. I can say I've gnawed noses in at least 17 countries. Mm -hmm. I'm about to cross over and be reborn as a new Greek baby. But I have to go through this river of Leith and forget everything. Just absolutely everything wiped clean. Tabula rasa, fancy words. I'm born blank, hmm. which is boring because I really want to remember my stories it's got elements of baptism in it because you are kind of washing yourself clean to get ready for the rebirth into the next world yes yes sorry i i have this whole like baptism thing happening every time uh, yeah yes really? um so one thing i kind of was reading up about some of this stuff too and i thought it was really neat is there's um so there's the fields of asphodel this is kind of like literally an afterlife it's like after you die, you just go on and do the same sort of stuff, and it's a little more boring. I guess you go to work. I understand there's, like, boinking in Asphodel, but there's also just working, and it's just endless what you dealt with in life forever, and that's pretty boring, because Greek-Roman is about striving upwards and refining yourself. So the fields of Asphodel is kind of one direction, and that's boring shades. And another direction is Elysian fields, mm -hmm. and that's, like, a kind of fairly dull version of paradise it's like the first but california on a really good day forever <laughs> and and no problems and no traffic so mm -hmm. it's kind of just you coast there for a while and in either one of these you could eventually be called by hermes to your reincarnation and then get washed away in the leith and go on uh but one thing i thought was really neat about this is floating in some of the islands i guess of the steak marsh or one of the rivers or something there's the isles of the blessed 
if you were in the Elysian Fields, you were pretty awesome. You were a hero, your favorite of the gods, that sort of thing. Most people get thrown into the junk bin. But Elysian Fields, you're a hero, a philosopher, friend of the gods, something like that. And you still get reincarnated. The true paradise, the islands, is waiting for somebody that makes it through the reincarnation cycle three times, each time going to the Elysian Fields. And then they get into the real paradise, which is the islands of the blessed. And that's kind of neat because not only is it about the afterlife, it's also got that Roman striving towards perfection of self, the uh, arete hmm. or eudaimonia, that sort of thing. Hmm. So I like that it's both, it's not, even the afterlife has a questing element to it. And that's really neat. Hmm. So it's Elysian Fields, is that, would Fiddler's Green be kind of based on that? I could see it some mm-hmm. some centuries later. I mean, there's a, a long tradition of Pastor John's land, that sort of thing. Well, it's a paradise. Mm-hmm. That could also be somebody's hell because the, there's constantly a fiddle playing. Constantly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the Discordian faith tradition, uh, we recognize that other people's heaven is frankly our hell, and we call it the region of thud. <laughs> the, so the... The Fiddler's Green thing, I don't know if I would quite equate it to the Elysian Fields because, well, okay, so to get to Fiddler's Green, you have to be a sailor for at least 50 years, right? If you're only a 45-year-old sailor, you just get regular old afterlife. Hmm. But it's, it's, you didn't really try to get there. You just hung in and then there's bar wenches. Right. It's sort I of mean, like, yeah, like your 401k or, you know, you. Family <laughs> screen, 401k. So there, there is, there is a tradition of hell being over there somewhere. Like, I know that we're going to have an episode that's the, where is hell? Um, because sometimes it's in a comet, sometimes it's in the North, uh, sometimes it's in Britain. But a lot of the earlier myth kind of has hell being way far over there. Like we were, we're going to talk about the Huber River which is the Mesopotamian version of the Steaks. And that was actually, in some people's maps, a tributary of the Euphrates, a long way away. Just heaven and hell was a long way away. If you go back far enough, there isn't really heaven, there isn't really hell, there's just kind of the other world. And I think that's more what that tradition buys into. And I think that's one of the benefits of the Sticks is it kind of is a marker of the underworld as other world sort of thing. You were in myth territory here. Okay. When, 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 when I was first tackling this, I had in my mind that you go down the Steaks. And I think that's like Dungeons and Dragons talking, where I think of the river itself as the destination and process. But really, it's more about borders and edges and things like that. And I think that, um, like, we just cross over rivers every day here. But if you roll back to when we didn't have cars and bridges and such, that was more of a major obstacle. And were rivers just kind of more of an unknown, like a place where really bad things can happen just because you have no concept of what it lies underneath. They were kind of chaotic and wild, like Mm -hmm. um, Tiamat is also called Huber, the Mesopotamian River, and she's a water god and it's primordial chaos. And you have the kind of Shiva-esque flooding, bringing plenty and destruction at the same time. So yeah, I think that there is a certain fear there and wildness to rivers. This was something you and I have been talking in which... A river, again, before we had bridges and cars and technology, a river was a hard boundary. You come across a river 
and you don't know what's on the other side, right? This is something you can't just cross on a daily basis. Uh, if you, and, and I remember years ago, it's like if you look at pictures of the River Jordan, and the River Jordan is this massive concept, and there's imagery, there's songs. If you look at it, it's terrifying. You know, there's steep banks, and the river might not be that deep, but there's some, you know, flow. You can't just walk across it on a regular basis. Yeah. Right. So the river is a hard divide between you and what's on the other side. And if heaven is a place on earth, so to speak, and hell is as well, then that's as good of a border as anybody's as any to get into the underworld. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine there being societies and civilizations which lived in a land and never knew what was on the other side of a river. Right. Legends were born, passed down through generations. Over there is where the Wendigo live. And if you don't eat your gruel, young man, the Wendigo are going to cross this river and eat your toes. Nose. We established no, that. No, wait. Gnaw <clears throat> your nose. Yeah. Those nose non-Wendigo. So back to the big five. The Archeron is sometimes described as like this chaotic boulder-strewn river thing. That's the big and wild one. Um, the Steeks is poison and dark and slurry and foreboding. Um, it's a nasty place. The goddess that watched over that, the Styx, uh, she's kind of about hatred, and her kids are victory and rivalry and force and strength again, The kind of the battle deities almost. Um, and the reason why it was it has this great big, big mythology is that it was what Zeus used to swear oaths on it. And if you violated the oath, you had to drink the Styx. Then you're, you would lose your voice for nine days, and everybody would know you're an oathbreaker. Actually, Alexander the Great is supposed to have died because he drank sticks water. Wow. So that kind of goes with the L.A. water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Toxic, toxic mm -hmm. sludge for sure. Reese River. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, the Steaks kind of eats the Archeron's mythology and goes back and forth a little bit. So it's hard to say which one is which. Which one of them? OK, so the, we had the River Fire. Which one was the cold one? Because none of them in Greek. Uh, but if you go to Dante, it's the Cocytus. That's right. We Dante, and it makes sense because he's like, here's an image, here's the counter image, and it's beautiful, and we'll write it down. Right, right, right. Um, and he was incorporating other ideas of hell. I guess the Greeks probably didn't have frozen lakes very often, though. Mm, valid. So one thing I like about the Steeks is it was also a swamp. So you kind of get this idea of like four rivers flowing together into this marshy area. And sometimes Charon, the sailboat Grim Reaper, would just go across this, this big swamp to take people to the lands of the dead, which was on the other side. So the fields of Asphodel were across this vast swampy place that uh, he kind of scurried across. So you get a lot of sticks as marsh in Dante as well. And I kind of have in my head that maybe this mirrors the idea of the Garden of Eden with these four rivers flowing together into a great valley, but like a darker, sludgier version of same. Um, Interesting, because yeah. in some of these maps, and if you... If you look at any map of the underworld, they're just unintelligible. Right. But it's the marsh is the central region and all the rivers kind of flow into the marsh. Right. Except Steeks, Archeron, which are also the borderland, the borderlines. Right. Which, I mean, you can, it's a duality. But the only river that I would qualify as a river of hell is the Pier of Legathon, which flows down into Tartarus, which we, I, Got a little sidetracked on before. Tartarus is really like Greek hell that feeds into Christian hell more than anything else. This is where really, really bad people uh, who like gave Zeus the finger go. And some of the Titans and their kids. 
and the Pier Phlegathon is a flaming river of flamey fire, mm. probably inspired by volcanoes. Well, I've also seen it as like the river that goes between uh, funeral pyres, which is a kind of more elegant thing. Dante describes it as being a river of boiling blood that the rageful and violent are submerged under how deep based on how sinful they were. But that is like serious river fell territory. I don't know what happens when you drink it. You probably shouldn't try. Um, but that that flows downwards and downwards and downwards to as far below the surface of Hades as Hades is below the earth to the real, real dark place below. Hmm. So when you said flows between funeral pyres, what do you mean by that? Well, I, I've only heard this once, but like the river of flame, rather than being a river that's on fire, mm-hmm. it may just be a river that flows between flames, um, like the places where you burn bodies. And I don't okay. know, I've only seen that once, but it's, it's an image that kind of stuck with me. So it's, is it, it's actual lo- like more fire? It's not a water river. It depends on who okay. you ask. Um, it's the flaming rivers. It means it means like flamey, flamey flame river sort of thing. Flame, flamerson. Right. Because I was I was intrigued by thinking about natural occurrences and how those may unexplained at the time natural occurrences may have informed how hell rivers are depicted, including lava. I want to go down this road. This is fun. Mm-hmm. Because uh, just thinking about and and you know. When you use rivers to dispose of bodies, of course, it's going to become toxic and murky and gross. Yeah, quite possibly. <laughs> There's all kinds of things that would, and, and rivers that reverse flow might mm. also seem unnatural and occult rather than being caused by a natural, like an earthquake. So I did pick up a book. It's by Solomon Krunenberg, uh, Why Health Stinks of Sulfur, Mythology and Geology of the Underworld. So this is one of my big finds for the last few months. Ah, and so, I mean, that probably, do they also talk about how, I don't know, just going, looking at that, what is it, the castle in Czech Republic? Oh my gosh. Uh, Hauska. Oh, uh. Yes. I want to call it Ruska's, but that's the Czech Kalachi place heading to Houston. <laughs> so it's so not that. What is this place? It's been following me between all of my projects and social groups. Yes, but it was, I mean, there's a chapel built on what was purported to be a hell mouth, oh. but could just very well be a natural gas vent. Yeah, Hoska Castle. I, I That's just mm-hmm. I just watched this, and they're like, they built the castle, they built the fortifications facing inward. <laughs> so everybody's getting high. <laughs> okay. And then they built the castle with no kitchen, with no water supply, not designed to be lived in, just as a cap over a hill. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and it's just, you're like, and you've go visit it now, and you're like, no, everything is absolutely there, and this is weird. But what makes it absolutely even worse for just the entire blogosphere is that for all the, you know, several hundred years of its existence, it was great, but then the Nazis took it over and used it for their, for one, their Lebensborn program where they're trying to breed the absolute best blonde babies ever. And as a book repository, which is creepier than anything else, a book repository in Nazi Germany or Nazi Czechoslovakia, Czech Republic. And the Nazis <laughs> just like made like something already kind of just like interesting. Like they, they went and made it like full blown, like, you know, messed up. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. 
so there was a lot of volcanic activity in the Greek area. It figures into a lot of stories. You've got like the Sybil's cave where she kind of breathes in strange gases and doesn't die, but gives prophecies. And there's a lot of like little kind of side runs that can, could be, could be reflected in one of these, these underworld rivers. Although if you try and like do matching one-to-one, you'll go crazy because there is no one mythology here. But um, like Avernus, which is one word for hell, the word means no birds. There's a lake near, well, Lake Avernus, that had a reputation for, it was one of those seltzer water lakes, which has a lot of CO2. And sometimes animals would just die nearby because of CO2. Valid. That may not have been Lake Avernus specifically, but it was kind of in that area there. And there's some related like, Cave de Cani, the cave of dogs, where anything that's like waist high or lower will just fall over and die. Um, so that's one thing is this kind of this river that emits invisible gas that kills you. And that's very hellish. Grunenberg also suggests that maybe the Steeks was inspired by the, the Black Sea and some straits near there, which had these bubbling mud volcanoes. It would occasionally cough up actual black tar and gas, which can catch on fire. And that's very exciting as well. Right. So burning, burning water is not a modern invention. No, no, it's tequila. <laughs> uh, the Leith, though, has a much weirder story, which I do not remember. Does that have lithium in it? No. Oh, there's a, um, what was it about the Leith? The Leith. There is a river Leith in Alaska. That is probably not relevant. Or... <laughs> Well, it, because it runs through the Valley of 10,000 Smokes, which is a volcanic fumarole field. So. Oh, 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 or a head shop. <laughs> we'll just, we'll go ahead and just make stuff up. Why not? Oh, no. Mm-hmm. In Spain, there's a river called the Guadalite. Guadalite. And this river had sort of a reputation as a river of forgetfulness. Beep. Okay, so one of the reasons the Leith is the river of forgetfulness is because it was a place where diplomacy happened and people would come together and make treaties and make peace and forget their war. It was a place to forget troubles and by extension forget everything, I guess, in the mythology. Anyway, we didn't touch on that in the discussion, but I thought that was a neat derivation. Beep. Whereas if you cross this river and so invading armies and we we're talking about like the Moors invading Spain or possibly the Romans invading Spain or possibly Spain invading Spain. And this is pre-Spain history, so I don't know if it was Spain then, but it kind of became this place for like diplomacy. Yeah, there was a village on the other side of the Leith, and this is the Guadalite and the invaders were coming up. They stop at the river because they know it's like if we cross this river, we're going to forget everything. We're going to forget our wives, our children, our soldiershipness. Like we're just going to be animals, right? And so nobody wanted to cross the river to invade the town, the town of Townsville. Cadiz. 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 Oh, Cadiz. Yeah. Okay. In, in Spain. Yeah. Right. I know. But, I know. I know of Cadiz. And so the story goes that the general was like, look, you guys quit being such willy nillies. And he wades out into the stream. He crosses the river. He gets to the other side and he's like, I've crossed to the other side of the Lees. And then he starts calling out his soldiers by name. You, Jimmy John, you, Jimmy Jack, you, Jimmy Job, you know, all of you. Look, I remember you. I'm General McBiggerson and you were all willy nilly weenies. 
Get over here and conquer this town. Damn it. Decimus Junius Brutus Calatius. Like I said, Biggie 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 the fact that this this one town of Cadiz was protected protected by this magical river, no one wanted to cross over the river until Decimus Biggerson just sat down and took a risk, gambled it all, and crossed over. And what kind of really nerded it out for me was the term Guadalite. As a Texas, we've got the Guadalupe. And so I'm like, typey, typey, Google. And Spain is really great because it's not just european it's also super close to the middle east and easy to invade and we've all heard the term wadi w-a-d-i where it's like a dry river channel it's like oh this is the wadi this the wadi that um so the guadalite is the wadi of leith the river of forgetfulness and then it turns from arabic into spanish and we move on and we're like the guadalupe is the hidden river so it's like wait Guadalupe is not a Spanish word. It's an Arabic word, which has been kenned into words. And I'm like, wow, things. Neat. Names, man. Names, man. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Did you know Cadiz has over 100 watchtowers? I didn't. They probably built them after Decimus Bigamus came across. I think you're right. They Mm -hmm. didn't need them before. It's like, no worries, guys. We've got a river to save us. Are there any salt water rivers in the world? Good question. Oh, wait, in the actual world? Mm-hmm. In our in our current world. Okay, there's lots of rivers which are kind of brackish because of like the tidal bore thing. Mm-hmm. But, but like legit. The Red River cuts across the top of Texas and goes down uh-huh. Louisiana. Okay. Is it the red? What goes through Shreveport? I-35? No, that's 20. Let's look at this, because I was wondering if that, I don't know, like if there's, because yes, brackish water and all, but like a just. Generally, rivers flow outward from mountains down to the edges. So it's going to be fresh. It will tend to be fresh unless there's uh-huh. something unusual in the land that it passes through. Right. Which so is? the terroir of the river. Yeah. Uh, or if it's a place that has some like in and out from nearby brackish things, like the River Thames has some salt in it, that sort of thing. But an actual like flowing salt river, that would be unusual it is the red okay the red cuts across oklahoma hits shreveport heads down to the gulf when the red was invented before time before the the ccc the roosevelt's ccc Mm -hmm. the tva yeah it was a tva Mm -hmm. the red actually flowed through several different salt mines so it's it's headwaters in oklahoma somewhere it flows way down south and the river was brackish because it flowed through literally salt mines. When the CCC started, like, and you've heard the story about Shreve, where, like, Shreve was an explorer. He came up the red. He found this massive raft of logs from an earthquake. He, like, cleared it out and made the river navigable for riverboats, right? At that time, that river was brackish from the source because it flowed through salt mines. The CCC rerouted the river around these salt mines and turned it fresh. Oh, Okay. I mean, literally, it was massive engineering, civic, civil engineering thing. And they're like, we did this, we did this, we rerouted this, and we turned the river fresh. And I'm talking to the park ranger about this a million years ago, and he's telling me about this. It's like, because it's fresh, we made fresh water for all the citizens, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, so all the plants 
fish, birds, everything that was fit for a brackish environment, you turned fresh and you destroyed an entire ecology. And he's like, yes, <laughs> like we did a good job. <laughs> I love you, Texas. So picking up on the big five again, Dante uses most of those, the Inferno. And um, that's kind of a major element of the Inferno is how it's organized with these rivery things. One thing I love about the imagery there is that all of these are falling, you know, dripping from the eyes of a statue somewhere in Dante land. Uh, the statue is the old man of Crete, and it kind of is about the descent of humanity and like the general failure of empire sort of thing. Like he starts, his head is gold, and the lower you go, he becomes brass and clay and iron and things like that. And it shows how bad things have become. But all of the rivers of hell are formed by his tears. What? No, that's that's Dante. It's 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 allegory. Although in more recent Christianity, you do get a lot of things saying where the rivers of hell are formed from the tears of the damned. That's good imagery there. Tear, tears and other fluids, really. Going back to this statue, forgive me because I've forgotten third grade Sunday school. Was this a, a dream of Nebuchadnezzar, the, the statue? It might allude to it. Yeah, I think it might very much allude to that. Or just kind of the giants of the past sort of thing, like the Watchers. I don't know. Things are bigger in Texas and 500 years ago always. Hmm. But from there, the, the hellscape is made up of the uh, river Acheron that kind of weaves down a few layers. And then the, the Styx is kind of a giant marshy moat around the city of Dis. Go Dis! And then that goes somewhere. The Pier Flagathon pops up and it's the river boiling blood, but it's kind of its own thing. And then at the very center, it trickles down as a waterfall into the uh, Lake Cocytus, which is frozen mostly because, A, it's very far from God, but B, because of the beating of Satan's endless wings or Lucifer's endless wings. Uh, that makes the chill that freezes everything. Although he might have stolen the frozen Lake of Hell from Norse mythology and possibly our old friend Hundel, who has another great monster embedded in a frozen lake. So that's the cockatus is the final kind of giant frozen pond. To be fair, Dante stole everything from everyone. Well, he also, I mean, his reinterpretation is part of his gift. And one thing he did in a major way was make Christian hell reflect the Greek cosmology. And so that is one of the reasons the rivers are with us today is because they were brought into that story and they kind of led this new life as the rivers of hell now. It's, it's hard to argue against that. I, as it... And, and as an opinionated individual would like to say that the rivers of hell would have lived on without Dante, but he did kind of keep them flowing. So that's a few words on the big five, and we will pick this up again next week ish as we continue with the rivers of the underworld. So until then, we'll see you in hell. podcast is copyright 2020 by The Dispatchist and is Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources. <laughs>